Hey, Trailblazers, it's Jesse. Welcome to another episode of Trailblazing in Agriculture, a podcast for anyone interested in hearing the stories of the agriculture industry's pioneers and innovators. Today's Trailblazer is a New York native who attended Colorado State University before becoming Certified Angus Beef's 11th employee. Tracy Erickson has been part of CAB for 29 years. She started as Director of International Business and has held various positions with the Wooster, Ohio-based organization, including her current role as Senior Executive Vice President of Marketing. In today's episode, Tracy discusses her career at Certified Angus Beef, talks about how the brand has evolved over the last three decades, offers advice to those getting their start in the agriculture industry, and much more. Welcome to the podcast, Tracy. Thanks so much for taking time to visit with me today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be a part of it. As we kick off the episode, Tracy, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? I would love to. So I'll start with today and and then maybe uh, work in reverse just a bit. But today I have the really wonderful privilege of working with the Certified Angus Beef brand, and I'll be coming up on 29 years. I do have oversight for our combined marketing efforts and a very talented and creative marketing team. When I started with Certified Angus Beef, boy, I I wasn't sure that I would have seen the the direction that I would get to grow personally and and certainly the brand as well. So a little bit about my background, I actually grew up in New York. I was not involved in agriculture growing up. I did have horses and absolutely loved being outside and and just loved riding and that whole part of life and and animals in general. I was one of those those kids who brought home every animal they could find. I remember finding a, a dog on the train tracks one day and convincing my parents we needed just one more. So I thought that uh, that love of animals would lead me to being a veterinarian. And I did go out to Colorado State University. I had a friend who was attending CSU and convinced me that that would be a a great place to kind of dive in, work on on my pre-vet program requirements. And that was kind of the dream. So sold my horses Uh, paid my way to get literally out west from the East Coast and uh, started in the program there on the the CSU campus and um, absolutely fell in love with with Colorado, with the community that I was introduced to. All of my roommates had grown up on, on ranches and it was just a lifestyle that I really hadn't been familiar with prior to to taking that journey. And um, in short order, I realized that the good Lord did not make my brain to get through organic chemistry. And I had other plans like many of my my classmates, although I do have to say all three of my initial college roommates, uh, we rented a house together outside of town so we could have, have some acreage and some animals all became veterinarians. So I was the one that did not, but uh, other doors opened and I truly got engaged in the industry from a production standpoint Um, was just, I think because I was new to the industry, it was fascinating. And I loved it. Absolutely loved going home with my friends and helping them, you know, at their places, helping work cattle, just whatever I could do to to get involved. And then that led to leadership opportunities within the Department of Animal Sciences and the Ag College. I actually became president of our livestock club, was on Ag Senate Council, was an ag ambassador, just immersed in, in everything that I could to, uh, I wouldn't say it was to compensate for my lack of, of industry background. It was just because I loved it and I felt very welcome. I felt at home. 
And uh, I was always learning. I, I wasn't afraid to ask the silly questions. So that, that kind of brought me to a, a place, I think, of just being able to, to grow right on a, a regular basis. I had two internship opportunities when I was in college. I entered with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association as well as the Colorado Beef Council. And those kind of set me, I'd say, in that, that ag business direction, both wonderful opportunities. And then right as I was about to finish my undergraduate, which is in animal science, uh, Colorado State was starting a program called Beef Industry Leadership. It was a, a master's in ag program. Um, Dr. Gary Smith and Dr. Tom Field were kind of the, uh, the originators and the advisors for that program. So I was fortunate to be one of the first four, what we called guinea pigs, to go through that. And it was a wonderful experience. They, they did continue that program for a number of years after and that uh, really led me then just about a year and I, I wasn't done with my, uh, with my thesis, with my defense, but that led me to an opportunity with Certified Angus Beef starting in global marketing. So then fast forward, that was 29 years ago and it's been a, a great ride since then. So that's the, uh, the quick version and I'm sure happy to dive into any piece of that that you'd like to explore further. That's great. Thank you so much for that overview. It's fun to, to hear you talk about how you were planning to do, uh, to be a veterinarian and kind of how that, how life kind of took those different twists and turns and how you really, like you said, immersed yourself in the beef industry. You joined CAB after you graduated. So you obviously been there the entire time. Can you talk a little bit about the roles that you've had with the company over those years, Tracy? Yes, happy to. So when I started with the brand, I was our first full-time director of what we called export at that point and had the opportunity to travel literally around the world, but mostly Asia was the, the area that we were developing, um, Southeast Asia, some of the, the markets there, um, Canada, Mexico, Caribbean, and did that for just about six years. And it truly was uh, a time that was really impactful for me personally to grow and realize that, uh, well, it's a big world out there, it's a small world, and that people are, are really personal connections, I'd say, um, happen everywhere. And so I, I treasure that time um, from the standpoint of just the relationships that I was able to build. In hindsight, I'm not sure that I perhaps could do it today. And I say that because at, I think I was 23 when I started. Um, you know, I got on a plane, we didn't have cell phones. I got off the plane and figured out trains and buses and um, just, you, you made it work. And, and that was really exciting to me. And um, then today I've been a parent of five children. I'm like, hmm, that, that is kind of interesting, but I never, never thought twice about it. And uh, certainly the ability to represent our product and, and bigger picture, right? To re represent U.S. beef in global markets was was just a really unique um, opportunity there. So did that at first, and then we were living in Colorado and uh, was at a point to have an opportunity to move to Ohio. So my husband grew up on a, a ranch um, just east of Denver, and the two of us, I don't think, ever thought that we'd be, be headed to Ohio. Of course, I had come from the east originally and loved Colorado and the mountains. And uh, life changes. I would say never say never because your priorities change. At that point, um, it was a priority for me to not travel as much. We had started a family. And the opportunity to move to Ohio uh, just provided that 
as well as being with an organization that I loved. So we, we made the move and truly thought that it was probably a five-year plan. And that uh, has expanded. Obviously, we're, we're still here. This is home. And it's been a, a great place to raise a family. So as I transitioned here to Ohio, I had the opportunity to take on about half of our divisions at that point. Marketing, international, human resources, retail. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble for a show when I'm forgetting. But it was a huge learning curve to just dive in, learn all these different areas. And I did that for a while. And then at some point, um, marketing kept growing. And we we put into place what we call a consumer-facing approach and initiative. So the early years of the brand, it was really a push strategy. And then we transitioned to trying to go directly to the consumer and create more of a, a pull from a marketing standpoint. And so marketing kept growing. My role started to uh, to narrow, I would say, in terms of the number of areas I was touching, but broaden because we were growing the marketing approach so much. And so I really focused on that marketing piece. And then I also had the opportunity as our family was growing to, uh, to have some flexibility to work part-time for a number of years. I think it was after our third child was born that uh, it's just a whole lot of juggling. And so I was able to to keep that job, continue to grow with the organization and then really have just grown in marketing. Today, we would have over 70, over half of our staff would be on our marketing team um, and and multiple disciplines across that spectrum. So it would be some of the the traditional routes for marketing that you would think of, of course, advertising, promotion, creative. We have truly an in-house agency that does multimedia production, as well as our graphic design. We have a, a full culinary team that is part of our uh, marketing, let's say, toolbox as well. We've got six full-time chefs, a culinary center. So marketing has, has really taken on a very broad, broad approach. Of course, um, in this day and age, a full digital team and just things that, you know, if we, we had tried to vision them, we knew we were going to grow. Um, but I'm not sure that we could have seen all of the the different areas that we've been able to engage the marketing. That's great. I want to back up a little bit, Tracy. You talked about the first position you had with the company, that director of international business and all the traveling that you did. I guess I'm curious um, because you talked about also, you know, that technology at that time was, you didn't have cell phones and things like that. Was it unique to be a woman traveling to those countries at that time as well? Absolutely. So I've, I've had dialogue on this over the years. I'm not sure, again, I was fully aware of how unique it was, only because I never felt that being female was an obstacle. Now, I, I did hear in later years, Nick Colvin, who was the executive director of Certified Angus B for our first 22 years, is the one who hired me. And he later told me that he had a number of partners, I should say a number, a couple of partners that uh, said, what are, what are you doing, you know, hiring a, a young lady for that role? And he, his philosophy you know, always was hire the person. And if you hire the right person, they can grow in expertise if they're willing to dive in and learn. And he said, you know, she's excited, she's passionate, she's willing to, to jump in. And so I think she's the right person. So I, I absolutely appreciate that. Because again, I'm not sure I realized how unique it was. As I started traveling to Japan in particular, there's a a lot of pictures that I have from that time period with me and a room full of 50 gentlemen. And so it it was pretty unique to have a female in the market. I'd say almost as as different as that was, was my age. 
right? Because in, in many cultures, you don't have the opportunity to, my title is director, titles are a big deal, um, particularly in other markets. You don't have folks that are, are that age that are directing an area of responsibility. So I would come into some markets early on and I was evaluating distribution companies that we were going to work with. So we, these were kind of our first trips in some of the markets, not all of them. And literally go in and, and look at how their company functioned, their distribution systems, were they potentially a good partner? And that was a big responsibility for a, a young person, regardless of gender. Um, so truly, I, I don't think it was ever an obstacle. I think it was different and it was hard for some for some of my business associates. We were in Korea with the U.S. Meat Export Federation right after the market liberalized. And there was a trading company that I needed to have a meeting with. And the gentleman was really um, put off is the word that or the term that he had to visit with me. And, and I didn't take it personal because what I realized as I spent time in these markets is that people didn't work with women in the capacity that I was I was there to engage with them in. Right. There were women in the workplace. Absolutely. But, you know, this is almost 30 years ago now. It, it was just unique. So when I, I took that mindset, the challenge I gave myself was to grow relationships, to show that I was capable and competent. And once you did that, the, the walls really started to come down. And so there were many individuals that I built strong relationships with um, on a personal and professional level. There were just uh, some folks that were a little, little standoffish at first. And um, I would say by the time I wrapped up my time in that role, we truly were, were not only um, friends, but had a great professional relationship. I think it's neat to talk about how, um, like you talked about, if you prove yourself that you're competent and, and have those skills and also just the value of relationships, right? Like going in there and not maybe having an agenda, but truly just being genuine in those relationships that you want. Because like you said, it's, it's, it's a, such a culture thing. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, too, for the people that I was engaging with, once they knew you were capable and competent, right, then it, it almost became a unique experience. So we would go to restaurants where typically women would maybe open the doors or, or just, you know, things that were culturally relevant in those markets. And the, the host that I would be with would say, American lady, American lady. And so they would try and do things in a different way. And so there were some funny moments in all of it, but I, I think it's like anything in life. If you just embrace it, you don't take it personal. I, I never felt that I was treated poorly, inappropriately, that I wasn't given the same opportunities. Um, was it different? Could it have been uncomfortable? Yeah, but I, it didn't feel that way. So I, I feel very fortunate from that standpoint. When you joined Certified Angus Beef, I believe you were employee number 11. And I would say that in today's day and age, it is fairly unique to stay with the same company that you started your career in. What is it that has kept you at Certified Angus Beef for 29 years, Tracy? So many things. There is it's truly no place I would rather be. This is a unique organization. And um, first off, if I sum it up, it's people, but there's a lot more to it than that. Because you look at the first off the ranchers and farmers that we represent, right? As a, a nonprofit subsidiary of a nonprofit parent, the American Angus Association, we, we truly um, have that purpose and that connection to incredible families 
across the United States. And so that is, is first and foremost. And yet, if you look at the people that we work with in every segment of the industry, I don't know another organization that could provide this type of breadth, this type of, of opportunity to see where product starts through from a production level, and then ultimately to sit with chefs and restaurateurs, whether it's in any state or 50 international destinations. And so those people um, are incredible. And, and I love having the opportunity to make connections, right, between ranching families and end users. And when they realize that they have so much more in common than they have differences, um, it's, it's really cool. So being a part of that, I would say, is, is tremendous. All of that wouldn't be enough, though, if it wasn't for the culture of our organization. And truly, the, the culture is absolutely outstanding. And, and that was started by Mick Holden. I mentioned his philosophy in terms of hiring people that had the right mindset, that were willing to learn. Um, Mick didn't use the term at the time, but in later years, we really have, have dove into a servant leadership culture. We have the original author way back uh, come in and speak to our team about servant leadership and that approach. And as I think about it, that's truly what Mick did. He hired people that he believed in. He would say he got out of their way. I would say he empowered uh, those team members to just do their best. And truly, that's a culture that we try and maintain today, even with 150 plus team members. And recognize that we are all here to serve each other. We're all in leadership positions, whether or not we have the opportunity to directly supervise and really trying to, to keep that culture alive. Because if I couple the things that uh, make this a really unique, and of course I'm a bit biased place to work, um, but that would be it, right? So what we get to do, it's the, the culture that we get to do it in. And then of course the product is phenomenal. So uh, I've eaten so many amazing uh, meals with certified Angus beef over the years and, and just fortunate to have that. But the, the product becomes less and less of what it's all about truly over time, right? It's those relationships that allow us to pull the product through. And of course it, it has to stand on its own. All these things wouldn't continue to work if we didn't have a truly outstanding product, but uh, that comes that product and sales growth comes with all the other things. Yeah, absolutely. So being with Certified Angus Beef for so many years, what was it or when maybe did it happen, Tracy, that Certified Angus Beef maybe took off? I feel like a lot of people are really familiar with Certified Angus Beef, but maybe what was that tipping point that really catapulted Certified Angus Beef into the public eye and maybe made it so visual and, and such a predominant brand that we see you know, it's a great question. And we talk a lot about our history, um, truly providing, you know, just to have immense respect for the, the early pioneers of this brand, those who, who were literally pounding the pavement, right, to uh, get into the first distribution companies, the first retailers. By the time I started with the brand, um, it was established at the trade level. Uh, the big thing that you saw in terms of not only volume growth from a product standpoint, but personnel growth would have been in the mid-90s when we licensed what was at that point IBP, right? So all the major packers had been a part of the, the brand prior to that, kind of one by one. And then that was the last of the, the major packers to come on. And at that point, we had some pretty aggressive goals in terms of product movement so that 
um, carcass utilization was going to be beneficial and, and certainly something that made sense economically for them to continue to produce. And so I can remember some years of crazy growth in 20 plus percent annually. We were growing our team. That was right about the time that uh, we relocated from a family standpoint here to Ohio. And it was exciting. It was <laughs> crazy. We realized we had a shift to, to more of a a consumer marketing mindset, and I'd say right, right in that time period was the difference. And then um, truly over the years moving forward, we had continual growth. Um, if we were to look at a, a chart, right, we have pretty much consistent growth aside from a, a blip in 03, and then uh, not as, as aggressive of a growth curve through the, the recessionary years, but um, overall, it's, it's been a pretty consistent rise and uh, growth in overall popularity. Earlier, you talked about the, the large staff that you have devoted to marketing. Why has that focus on marketing been so important? And what does that kind of look like from a marketing standpoint in your staff that you have at Certified Angus Beef, Tracy? From a marketing standpoint, that is what we do. And so it really is what this brand is all about. Truly, we are a marketing organization, right? We own the trademarks. We own some buildings here in Worcester, Ohio. We own a few vehicles, but we never own the product. And so as you look at, at our, our whole structure, um, everything we do leads back to our partners having success. And so if we have a group here in Worcester and we we're sitting down, we're, we're engaging with them, we're trying to, to get them to understand the value of the brand, of increasing maybe their brand offering. It's all about what we can bring to the table from a marketing standpoint. And so while we have team members that uh, focus more on what we would call our sales approach, um, it's a bit of a difference from a typical sales organization in that they're not making the sale. They are selling, don't get me wrong, they're selling hard, they're selling ideas, they're selling you know, just promotional plans or they're selling the ad features from the standpoint of working with partners to get them to do more of that and to, to really increase their offering, to bring in different cuts, to help with ideation. Um, so marketing becomes the language that we're able to, to provide that additive value. We want a partner when they work with us to feel like they just increased their team. Everyone in, in whatever segment they're in, they're busy. Dear goodness, if you're operating a restaurant right now, aside from staffing shortages and just trying to, to get back on your feet, um, there's things that we can come alongside those partners and just be tremendously helpful with. So marketing um, is, is all very comprehensive from our standpoint. And what I always tell partners as well is there's a lot of things we do today, some of them that uh, have grown out of requests from our partners, most of them that have grown out of requests and my, my guess is if you look at our team five years from now, that's evolved similarly because we've had requests and, and just are able to kind of meet those needs of, of what the industry is asking us for. Similar to how you discussed um, how Certified Angus Beef has kind of changed over the years since you have been there, marketing and, and some of the things that you're able to do in terms of marketing and reaching your target audience has certainly evolved as well. Can you talk a little bit about how your marketing efforts have evolved over the years, Tracy, and maybe some of the unique things that um, that Certified Angus Beef is doing. I would love to. So we are in a position that I'm going to say can be challenging from a, a budgetary and an overall marketing standpoint, 
but I think it 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 makes us better. So many years of working on this, I, I uh, certainly look back on how creative we've had to become. So as you look at putting marketing dollars into an event, a resource, whatever it might be, right? We're a nonprofit. We work on nonprofit dollars, and we are building a global brand. So building because we are not there. We we are still on this journey. And uh, we'll, we'll keep investing. And then every dollar that we invest has to work harder than that dollar. It has to have a multiplier effect, at least four to five times the dollars that we, we spend. So we do things that most, well, while we try to be seen in the marketplace as a consumer-facing brand, we do things that other consumer-facing brands don't do because we just have to be able to, uh, to leverage and to continue to, to grow the brand from that standpoint. What looks different today? I mentioned some of the areas. We didn't have a culinary team um, a decade ago, or maybe we had the start to it. Um, but today, that, that team is a big part of how we go to market and we support our partners. Of course, the whole digital and social landscape, um, that is an area that we continue to grow in. We continue to learn. We, we have a TikTok channel now. Who would have thought a TikTok channel? So um, there are places that we, we just continue to invest and, and try and grow in. Um, I would say as, as we engage with partners from a, a production standpoint, as well as an overall efficiency of dollar use, at times we may be considered frugal. And that is the best compliment that someone can give us. Because what we'll say is, is, is there's an event and it would have cost X number of dollars typically. We're going to offer a fraction of that, but we're going to bring expertise. We're going to bring partnership. We're going to bring chefs. We're going to bring... Um, so much more than the dollars we pay. And in many instances, we're able to, to be at the table um, for the amounts that we're able to spend and, and to have a pretty good presence at the table. So um, that is definitely something we will continue to do. I want to take a minute and circle back as we talk about digital and social and how that is different today. We're at a time that um, is really interesting because I feel like those who are engaged in digital and social, and of course, it's predominantly a younger generation, but not exclusively, right? There's, there's definitely adaptation amongst all generations. However, I think that that whole area of, of marketing and understanding is growing at an increasing rate. And then we still have an audience that is not, I know this is really hard for, for some to believe, particularly some of the folks on my team, that is not on those platforms at all at all. And so we still have to use traditional mediums to reach them. And at times in our audiences, if you look at the demographic of perhaps a meat buyer on the retail side, you look at some of our ranching um, families, right? We, we have to have one foot firmly planted, I would say, in each of those areas right now. And so a decade you know, forward, does it look cleaner? I don't know. Maybe there's, there's something new and you still have the generation that today is comfortable with, with the current social environment is there. But uh, that definitely is, is something to think about because you can do a phenomenal integrated digital campaign. And that's what some of our partners want us to do. And we have lost a, a big portion of the audience that never sees that. And so we're, we're trying to navigate that and we know the right place to put our resources, to grow and maximize. And uh, certainly that's an ever-changing environment. It's interesting, like you talked about, marketing mediums are so diverse and are constantly changing, especially in the world of digital. 
But I think that there is still a place for print mediums and you want to be careful about how you spend those marketing dollars, right? Like you talked about, there's always a budget and we always have to be cognizant of what that budget is. And you also have a variety of partners to engage with, right? So how do you go about identifying maybe what that best marketing mix is, Tracy, for each of those partners, consumers, farmers and ranchers, restaurants, et cetera? How how do you maybe go about that? Or what does that brainstorming session maybe look like? That's a great question, Jesse. It, it really is individualized. Years ago, I had this vision that we could, could standardize our approach, right? We could have a template that would work across the board and then you just tweak it a little bit and we would be good to go. And so I, I think like many of us, you learn that uh, personalization, individualization is critical. So we try and, and have ready resources. We try and create things like seasonal campaigns and, and just initiatives that that we can use as a starting point. But what we realized is that every customer is unique, every market's unique. And so we've got some plug and play assets that if we need something tomorrow, these will work. But our goal is is truly to work with our partners, particularly um, our chain partners or retail, same with with some of our restaurant partners and know what's going to work in their market. What do they need? and then try and build, honestly, customized marketing plans. Um, so trying to just be very responsive to make sure that um, in their market, that, that is what works. So give you an example, we have a retail partner in the middle part of the country um, that we're able to do some television appearances with our chefs. We're able to do some, some spot TV buys, um, perhaps radio. Today, they may have a digital component. That might look really different from a partner I'm on the West Coast that wants strictly a digital buy and wants us to maximize that. And then we're doing some traditional outdoor. Just had a a proposal come in this week. We're down in the Southeast part of the country. We're going to be doing outdoor. It's a combination of digital billboards as well as static billboards. And and certainly there's definitely a place for that as well. So it is all over the board. And the the key being that while it may look like this isn't... uh, as coordinated, it really is because it's meeting the needs that are very much targeted individually. Maybe diving in a little bit specifically, Tracy, you know, in a day where plant-based burgers are on many menus and, you know, the talk of cell cultured meat, you know, is something that, that we hear about. How does certified Angus beef maybe try to market the benefits of, of beef and, and maybe promote the benefits of it versus some of those alternatives? Great question, and you're absolutely right. We hear so much about plant-based protein um, in the marketplace today, and it's one area that we have tried to be really intentional about providing information and providing good comparisons from a nutritional standpoint. Um, Certified Angus beef, like all beef, is that nutritional powerhouse and really just, I would say, staying the course and, and what we've learned is, you know, if you focus on the value of the product offering that you have um, and stay positive, I, I think that is, is really important. So interestingly, with certified Angus beef, we, we have to be careful not to overreact. And I don't say that because I'm, I'm at all minimizing the environment, the, the concern that maybe some of the misinformation around plant-based protein can bring, can bring up. I say that because our audience loves meat and they love certified Angus beef. 
And so the biggest learning, we, we had a comparison session with a group of chefs that was in on some of the plant-based products and the feedback that we got was, why, why did you do that? Like, we're really not interested in that. We're interested in certified Angus beef and we're interested in animal protein. And so and it's been a bit of a learning process that we want to stay in the conversation. We want to provide factual information, but we want to be careful not to get derailed and spend too much time on that because our audience is, is beef lovers. And uh, again, I think that's just one that definitely we We'll continue to be a resource, but make sure that we stay in the lane and keep driving forward for the brand overall. What do you think about the future of certified Angus beef, Tracy? What are you most excited about? The future of certified Angus beef. I love that question. And I'll, I'll take a moment and share that uh, Mick Colvin, again, the, the initial executive director of this brand, true visionary for 22 years. I remember one day he was asked that question. And uh, asked if he thought the brand would grow to where it is today. And he said, absolutely. There was not a bit of hesitation in his, his voice with that answer and beyond. And so I would say the same thing. Do I know exactly what it will look like? No. But I do know that it will continue to grow, will continue to grow in impact, um, ultimately to lead back to the mission, right, which is to, to drive demand for registered Angus cattle to keep farming and ranching families strong and in business. And uh, I think the ways that we'll do that may look different. Um, I mentioned earlier our, our network. We truly have brand champions throughout the world. And that, that is one of the things as I think about what's most humbling. Um, individuals, people love this brand, right? They feel a part of something bigger. They feel connected as a family. They take it on as their own. And so when you have that type of multiplier impact, um, exactly what we'll be doing and where we'll be doing it is, is hard to say for sure if I had a crystal ball, but I know we'll be doing more of it. We'll have more people at the table. We'll be driving more demand. And I think that continued growth will come along with all of those, those things. And I'm sure that growth or that picture of what that growth could look like is even more exciting for, for you when you think about, like you said, you have people who love the brand and you have a team who is passionate about working to promote that brand to your audiences. Yes, they are second to none. Like I said, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but both the people in the industry that we're fortunate to engage with and then our team here, we have a really nice mix. We have a tenured staff with 20 plus years and then we've been fortunate to, to hire uh, a good number of people in the last few years and, and some right out of college. Um, certainly a great um, age range across age demographics and um, we, we challenge each other, which is the best place to be. And we're, we're not all talking from the same perspectives and certainly um, that makes us better. It's fun when you have those diverse age ranges and experiences, what everyone brings to the table and what you can accomplish when you work together as a team. If you could go back in time, Tracy, and give your younger self one piece of advice, whether it was as a college student or as a, as a new professional, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? That's a great question. There, there's a whole lot of pieces running through my mind. I think as it relates to career and you, know, you get this question all the time, life balance, work-life balance, how do you do it all? <laughs> I think it's maybe to, uh, to take it a little easier on myself that I, I believe as women, you know, regardless of whether it's when I started or today, 
there is that fallacy around the the thought that you do it all and, and you don't you do different things at different times and you make choices and what I, I encourage my team members is be happy with the choice you make make the choice intentionally make the choice that works for you and your family and and then lean into it right because otherwise you miss the joy in the moments of when you are there with your family you miss the joy in the moments of when you're able to to do what you can from a career standpoint and knowing that when you juggle those things, um, you, you have to make some sacrifices and there are, are just seasons for everything. And so I, I do think at the point that I am at, it would be to maybe have, have been um, not as intense in some of those years early on. And I just think that's human nature, right? When, when you have initiative and the type of people that we hire here at Certified Angus Beef, um, certainly we, we don't hire folks without initiative. And that's a wonderful thing. But at times we can you know, almost put a little too much pressure on ourselves and think we can do it all at the same time. As a mom with two young boys, I can totally appreciate what you're saying and relate to that so much, like to see the joy in every moment and and to to just find that balance. Like it's hard, but just to to pursue what you want with passion, but to find that balance. And, and I know personally that like it can be a struggle sometimes, but I appreciate that advice. So. And I think the term balance truly means that sometimes things are going to be out of balance, <laughs> but as long as you're always getting back towards center, that's the important piece. Absolutely. One of the questions I like to ask all of our guests on the podcast, Tracy, is who has a trailblazer been in your life or someone who has made an impact and what has made them an, a trailblazer for you? It's a great question. There's a number of people that come to mind. If I had to pick one, it would be Dr. Gary Smith when he was at Florida State University. Because of the time in, in my life that he was able to impact me. So we worked very closely together through my graduate program, undergrad as well. He was, was there and taught some courses. And what I remember specifically about Dr. Smith was his challenging us to be our best and he would share personal examples of just things that he had done that had such a high level of integrity, um, but caused him, of course, more work. And in planting those seeds for me, then I just vividly remember some of those, those stories. And then the other thing that was super important as a college student, and I've tried to maintain this throughout my career, is the attention he gave to people. So he called us all by name. He called us by first and last name. He did that to make sure we were awake in class. But more importantly, when you would go to his office, he had all these papers and he knew where anything was in all those piles, of course. But whatever he was doing, he would put it down. He would look up. He would put his hands up. And you had his full and undivided attention, regardless of what topic you were coming to him about. And I think that's so important, especially today as we get more and more distracted Right When we're talking to people, not only do we, we care about what they're saying, but we value their presence and we value being in their presence. And, and I'll just never forget that. It was so affirming to me to have someone, certainly of, of his caliber, of his intellect and position, to invest in me like that. Um, I can remember I probably asked him some crazy questions, but whatever it was, he was, was willing to engage and pour into me at that point. And so I'm very grateful. It's always good to have people like that in your corner. Is there anything else, Tracy, that you want to talk about or that we haven't touched on? I think we've covered everything that I would want to, uh, to bring to light. I 
and appreciate the opportunity to be a part of the series. It's a, a great series that you're putting out there and just um, going to listen to the rest of them as well. I mentioned I got to listen to a couple, so looking forward to learning more about what some others are doing in their fields and in the industry. I would throw maybe one thing out there and, and certainly as a young you know, listening audience, um, take opportunity, right? Take opportunities to be involved. Um, sometimes I, I know it's hard to add one more thing in, but particularly at a point where you can juggle um, and, and just get involved, meet as many people as you can, um, keep those connections. It's easier to stay connected today, but make sure and, and take some of those in-person opportunities to connect across the industry. And uh, those folks will definitely be people that you rely on for the rest of your career. And then uh, likewise, you can be there for them when they need something or, or just have that opportunity to collaborate. It truly is crazy how small the agriculture world is when you take time to get to know those around you. And like you said, a lot of times it's who you know, not what you know sometimes. And in the ag world, when it's so small, that can really come in handy. Yes, we got great people. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate it. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Have a great day. I was so inspired by my conversation with Tracy, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks again for joining me as we chronicle the stories of trailblazing women in agriculture as part of the Trailblazing in Agriculture podcast.